But I've really been enjoying this walk through the minor prophets, and we've called this series uh, Minor Prophets, Major Impact. Do you know what Jesus said about the minor prophets? He said that I didn't come to abolish their their message. I came to fulfill their message. In fact, Jesus talked about the minor prophets and the major prophets, and he he said, um, don't misunderstand. Uh, I, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. He's very serious about the, uh, the, the message of the, new, of the Old Testament. A lot of times we look at the Old Testament and we say, well, that's the Old Testament. I'm, I'm a New Testament Christian. You know, the New Testament Christians, the only Bible they had was the Old Testament. And they changed the world. And, and so we have to understand that it's true the Old Testament needs to be understood right and interpreted correctly, but it's still the Bible. In fact, when the Scriptures say all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, they're not talking about the New Testament. They're actually talking about the Old Testament. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for, for teaching and equipping and nourishing and correcting and admonishing. So it's good for us to spend some time in the Old Testament and to walk through these things. And uh, if, you, if you were here last week and the week before, uh, what, what a great message, a couple of messages that our uh, new pastor, associate pastor, Matt, is going to, uh, who's going to be coming. He visited us uh, last week and the week before and knocked it out of the park with a couple of great messages on Habakkuk and on um, Micah last week. And then the week before that, we were blessed that Julia, our own Julia Spence, was was preaching on the book of Jonah. Again, I listened to that one, and what a great job you did. Thank you so much, Julia. Uh, she's just a great communicator, and uh, that was that was awesome. We're going to be looking at the, the prophet Joel today, and if you're a, a good Pentecostal charismatic, you know that prophet Joel is quoted in the book of Acts chapter 2. It's one of our sort of chapters that we know fairly well in the New Testament, and Joel is quoted there in the, uh, in the book of Acts, and so we'll be talking about that in a bit. But the, the name Joel, the name Joel uh, means that means Jehovah is God, and it's con- contraction, the, the Joe part is... Uh, a shortened version of Yehovah, and then the El part is a short version of Elohim, and so that's why they know that this name means Jehovah is God. And so Joel, if you know any Joels, you know you can tell them how great, great message you've got. You know, just tell them their name is a great message. They'll look at you funny. That's okay. Then you can talk about Jesus. It's okay. Um. So the minor prophets, we have a list of them there on the next slide. It's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. God willing, next week we'll talk about Zephaniah. Uh, And then uh, we'll turn a page a little bit because all of these prophets were before the exile and the destruction of Samaria and Jerusalem. And the last three, uh, Zechariah, 
uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, those three books are what we call post-exilic books, which is after the exile, when the uh, the 70 years that ju- that the Jewish people were in captivity under the ministries of Nehemiah and Ezra, and uh, you you rec- may recognize some of that part of the story of the Bible. That's that's what we're going to be looking at, God willing, into September. Uh, but today we're talking about Joel. And uh, Joel was a prophet to Judah. Now, Judah was the southern kingdom. If you, if you weren't here last week, you need to download and listen to Pastor Matt explain a little bit of the background because I don't want to repeat all the awesome background information that he gave last week about the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom and why Israel was uh, cut, sort of cut in half. And uh, so we won't go into all the whys and wherefores. But Joel was primarily a prophet to Judah. Now, Judah was a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, there really wasn't any good kings. After Jeroboam, uh, there were really not, there was really not one good king there. Uh, in the southern kingdom, there were 20 kings between the, you know, like after Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam took the throne. And that's when the civil war happened and they split the country up. Between Rehoboam and the end when Jerusalem was destroyed, there were 20 kings and there were uh, uh, eight good ones and 12 Dirty rotten scoundrels. Okay, so it was it was a mixed bag, but at least there was some good ones. There was times when there was a return to God and a call to God, but near the in in the first little season of of the southern kingdom's time, that's when Joel prophesied. Right around 800 BC is when he was uh, when he was doing his ministry, and uh, and so that just gives you some some idea. And when we jump into the book, it really, the book kind of jumps in and starts running right away. And it really doesn't stop running until the end. There's only three chapters. And it just keeps going and going and going. And it doesn't, I I was looking and I didn't really see a reason for the judgment. But the book is about half the book talks about a judgment that's, that's, well, it, it actually says it in the past tense. But I believe it's the prophetic past tense, and it wasn't something that literally happened in the past. It was a warning of what's going to be happening in the future, and that is a big plague of locusts. And so the first verse of the book, uh, the Lord gave this message to Joel, uh, son of Petuel, and he says this in verse 2, Hear this, you leaders of the people, listen, all who live in the land... In all your history, has anything like this happened before? Tell your children about it in the years to come. Let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. What's he talking about? Verse 4. After the cutting locusts finished eating their crops, the swarming locusts took what was left. And after them came the hopping locusts and then the stripping locusts. Now, there's. I've been reading a lot about these locusts. I, I know way too little about too much of this stuff. And I, all I know is that it, it might have been actual locusts, like the physical, like hopping locusts that are animals, or it might have been uh, a prophetic sort of poetic uh, uh, mention of an invading army. It could have been both. 
could have been neither. No, it wouldn't be neither. But it's, it's spoken in the past tense, but it's something that was a warning about what God is going to be doing in the future if there's no change. And that's really the story of the book, that if there's a change, here's the promise of what I will do for you. But just remember the first part of the book, the, the day of the Lord, the, the, the time for um, accountability is there. And it's uh, and something to be reckoned with. And so he, it's, it, rep, it represents a total devastation. All the crops, everything that's growing, period. There's a, late, a later part in the book where it says that even the, the livestock are suffering because of it. And so it's quite a, a devastating, uh, quite a devastating thing. Now, I, I have some of the scriptures on the screen. You might want to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app if you uh, want to, because I'm not going to only speak to the, scri- the scriptures on the screen. I'm going to be kind of running through the book and majoring on a couple of the messages that I believe are important for us to uh, to receive this morning. And so part of part of what we're doing going through all these books is so that when you do read them, you'll have a little bit more understanding about what on earth is going on in some of these books. And uh, I know for me, it's nice for me to to study because I forgot, <laughs> frankly, and I'm really glad to, to go through this. But verse chapter one, verse five, wake up, you drunkards and weep. Now, I, I'm not asking for a show of hands here, but I, I, I don't really think there's a lot of drunkards in the house. But the, the Bible, when the Bible's talking about drunkards, it's not only talking about alcoholics who can't stop drinking alcohol. It's also talking about just people that, that use uh, physical things to, to, to make the pain go away. Physical, physical things, and, and it could be, it could be eating, it could be pornography, it could be shopping, it, it, it you know, it could, could be internet, following Facebook, and just never being able to put it down. Uh, it could be a lot of different things that hinder us as people, and we use things to make the pain go away, or to try to make ourselves feel better, so we maybe even feel like we have purpose in our life. This is, this is what, see, when, if, if we just look at the word drunkard, we go, oh, well, that's not me. Just go on to the next thing. But we, we really need to understand what the Spirit of God is saying. And uh, don't worry, it'll get worse than that. Okay, just saying. Uh, and, and so it goes on to say this, verse 6 of chapter 1, A vast nation has invaded my land, a, a terrible army too numerous to count, and it could be, like I say, it could actually be a, a way of describing a locust in, in, invasion, or it could be that the locusts were a symbol of the invading military armies that were actually going to and ended up coming in and destroying the northern kingdom first and then the southern kingdom later. Uh, this could be about that as well. Uh, but for our purposes, the true stories from the past represent the day of the Lord, and you and I, we need to also be aware that there's a day of reckoning, there's a day of answering, that there's a day of accountability that is going to be, uh, that we will be facing, and we need to know how we're planning to look after that and deal with that.
Everybody's shouting hallelujah there. That's good. Okay, the next slide, uh, slide six is where I'm at. Uh, Chapter one, verse nine. So the priests uh, are in mourning and the ministers of the Lord are weeping. Now, of course, every one of us, New Testament now, we're all priests, right? We're a kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood. The priesthood of the believer. That's what Martin Luther was fighting for and ended up dying for. And and the, the Protestant Reformation happened. And the message of the priesthood of the believer, we we believe it in, in our hearts. And and so when when you read the Old Testament and you see the the priests get your you know, that's that's me. That's not just the pastor, that's every one of us in the congregation. And we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, and we are the priests. And please don't call me, I mean, yeah, please don't call me a priest. There's some, someone I know calls me a priest. I know who it is. And, uh, you know, and then Matt is going to be the assistant priest. No, we're, we're all priests. I'm, my job is to try to help you relate to God yourself, right? That's, that, is, uh, that is what my work is. And that's what priests do as well, and that's what you do in your world. Uh, verse 10, the fields are ruined, the land is stripped bare, the grain is destroyed, the grapes have shriveled, the olive oil is gone. Despair, all you farmers, and wail, all you vine growers. Everybody's sad. Everybody's mourning. And, uh, yeah, wheat because the wheat and barley, all the crops are ruined. And, uh, and it even says later in verse uh, 12, it says, the people's joy has dried up. Quite amazing. Uh, I'm going to keep reading here in verse 13. It's not on the screen. Dress yourselves in burlap and weep, you priests. Uh, Come and spend the night in burlap, you ministers of my God. And it's sort of like, you know, wearing the right clothes to a funeral. they, They used burlap or sackcloth, they called it. Uh, we would just have a maybe a pair of dark black slacks and a sport coat or something. Uh, Come spend a night in burlap, you ministers of God, for there's no grain or wine. The only place of hope is is the the ministry around the temple where the Lord's presence lived, and, and there's no grain or wine to offer at the temple. And so what they're saying is. Uh, do something about it. Uh, sound the trumpet, verse uh, verse one of chapter two. Again, it's I don't think we have that on the screen. Sound the trumpet in Zion. Sound the trumpet in Zion. Raise the alarm, because the day of the Lord is upon us. Now you and I, we we think about this. I know I know I do, and we think about especially living in the comfort of North America, uh, in the most wonderful part of North America, which is the lower Fraser Valley, and the most wonderful place there is, is White Rock, South Surrey, and we just are blessed in the best country in the whole world. And so we sometimes don't think in terms of the day of the Lord. We don't think in terms of, of you know, judgment just because things are kind of going along pretty good, thank you very much, and we're quite comfortable. But we need to understand that there is a day of the Lord that is coming. In fact, verse 11 of chapter 2, uh, the day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? And now, we understand that Jesus is coming again. Uh, 
And, you know, for the Christian, it's going to be a time of joy. It just is. But there's something about the second coming of Christ that we do have to remember, and that is that there is an accountability as well. Jesus said, you know, every word you say, you're going to be accountable for. And we have to know how we're going to deal with that. Part of my job is to help you know what you're going to do about that. And here's some, uh, here's some teaching now coming up here uh, in chapter 2 and verse 12. This is, this is why the Lord says, because there's an accountability, we're facing accountability in our lives. So this is why the Lord says that we need to do these things. Uh, Turn to me now while there is time. Uh, my wife, I meant to mention, that my, you know, my wife is is with her mother today because her mom is not doing well. We don't know what's up. Her mother is 94, lives in her own house, and she's just been this rock for the family. Has her, She planted her garden, eats all her own food, grows her own, her own food still at 94. But she's been a little dizzy, uh, actually quite dizzy, and she's quite concerned because all her life she's been so strong. But we don't know when... You know, that's 94, but, you know, there's people that, that have a heart attack and die when they're 60 or 40 or, or, or 30. We don't know when our day is coming, and I don't mean to, you know, be real negative, but the truth is, you know, life is short, then you die. Everybody is going to die, whether they're 100 or 30 or somewhere in between or, or you know, tragically even younger. We don't know when the day of the Lord is for us. We just need to be ready. And of course, also, we know that Jesus is coming back, coming back again, and we don't know when that is. That could happen. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen before I finish speaking. And I don't know how I'm going to finish by noon. So welcome to Africa. He says, give me your hearts. Listen to Matt's message last week about that. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. There's, there's action required. There's a sense of urgency that's required. Uh, don't, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. There needs to be a sincerity about God. Return to the Lord your God, for he's merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not, para, not, not punish. And that's where faith comes in. We need to believe who God is. He's a good God. And he wants to be, in fact, here, I, I love this expression. Uh, is, is it there? It's actually, it's not all there on the screen. It says here, God is eager. And I just felt this was so awesome. He's eager to relent and not to punish because he wants to bless us. And who knows if we do come to him, this way, perhaps he will um, give a reprieve and send you a blessing instead of this curse. What was the curse? Well, he's talking about the curse of the locusts. Uh, uh, but there's other other things that, that we might be facing as well. Perhaps you'll be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Now, our offerings are not grain and wine. Our offerings are our finances, of course, but also our devotion. We come to church. You know, not, you don't come to church because that's what you do. You come to church because God is God. We need, to, we need to worship him. That's part of what we need to do. 
God wants us to enjoy him. Someone, uh, there's a, there's a, um, there's a, I forget what you call it now. There's a teaching that says that the chief end of man and humanity is to, to love God and enjoy him forever. How do you enjoy things? Well, your spouse or your friends, how do you enjoy uh, the BC Lions? Forget about it. How do, how do you enjoy the Vancouver Canadians? Well, you shout and, and you, you enjoy the mountains when you're driving through them. Oh, look how beautiful that is. My wife and I dro- drove through the mountains a couple of times here and more than once. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, well, you said that last time. Well, yeah, but part of the enjoyment is verbalizing. And when part of our enjoyment of God is to worship him. He's not on some massive ego trip. He wants us to enjoy this relationship. That's why he tells us that we should be worshiping and praising him. Because he loves us so much. And, and he rejoices over you, too. He's, he's there, and he talks to the angels. And he said, look at that. Look at Sandy. You know, look at Beth and look at Ralph and look at all look at all those people. They all got up in the morning just to come and, and be with me. I, I just love Sundays. You know, God is God is verbal as well. He takes pleasure in his people. The Bible says that. And so if if we go to the next slide, slide number eight, it says blow blow the ram's horn in Zion. That that's loud. And sometimes people get a little loud. Even this morning, there was some of some of us Canadians that were just being real cool, and and some others that were shouting and and calling out and crying out. And if that makes you nervous, I have to apologize. But actually, the Bible talks about having a time of a sense of urgency and thinking, you know what, this has gone on long enough, and I'm going to press into God here. I know I like being quiet too. Sometimes. I love this verse here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say it because uh, what I loved it, uh, verse 16, it says, Call the bridegroom. Well, first of all, get, verse 16, gather all the people, the elders, the children, even the babies. You know, sometimes in church we like to have it really cool and nice, and sometimes babies make noises. Listen, bring your babies, sit in the front row if you have to, because they can see, then they're, they're not, you know, they're looking at the back of 14 people's heads. Yeah, they're going to be squirming. Bring them to the front row. It'll work way better. I'm sure it will. And if they squawk, it's okay. Bring the babies. Bring everybody. And he goes on to say this. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Wow. God might interrupt our life? Really? Putting God first might interrupt our precious schedule. Well, that's when I do such and such. You can't call a meeting that night. Okay, well, I get it that things happen. But let's not allow, let's not allow our agenda to be so important that God can't interrupt us sometime. Oh, that's, how about this, you know? Uh, I was just talking uh, well, texting with, with uh, a gal that I married, she and her husband, uh, boy, 2007. That's 12 years ago. And uh, But I, I got something to say before we start. You know, th- there's locusts coming, and we need to repent first. Well, couldn't you do that, like, after the wedding? Well, I suppose we could, maybe, if it's not too late. But, we, you know, we, we put God in... You know, as long as it's real comfortable and as long as the way I like it to be, 
You know, that's the way I really want it. Thank you very much. In the meantime, we've got a mission. We've got a world out there. We've got things to do. We've got a father who needs us. And it's time for us to not be quite so concerned with our convenience and our comfort. And frankly, when I think about going to Africa, and it's going to take 36 hours or 38 hours or 40 hours and, and eating the same food, you know, every day, and it's not, I don't even feel hungry because my body's not working and I'm exhausted. I usually don't even think about that until after (laughs) because there's a mission and our comforts are not the thing. It's the mission. It's the call. And I, frankly, am probably more selfish than you are. So if I can do it, you, you can do it. doesn't mean you have to go to Africa and do what I did. But you know what I'm saying, right? We have to allow our lives to be interrupted by Jesus. You know, he's the Lord. He's not the pal. I said a few times when I was talking about the kingdom in Africa, Jesus is a friend to you, but he's not your friend. He's a friend to you. He says, I even call you, I don't call you servants, I call you friends, but, but actually, he's a friend to me. He's, he's my Lord. He, he, he's, the, he's the boss. He's the one that I listen to and I do what he asks me to do, tells me to do. Uh, when I'm doing it right, that's what I do. And so we need to have this kind of responsiveness. And, and so I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of this message, but I, I think I'm going to close with the next slide. And I'm just going to ask you uh, to think about, think about your life. Don't think about my life. Uh, hopefully I can say that I'm somewhat of an example, but don't look at me because you've probably found faults if you know me more than 10 minutes. But let's look at our lives and, and maybe even think about, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like even think about putting a number on it, like between 1 and 10. How are we doing with urgency? Like do we have any sense at all of urgency in our Christianity or has it become a chore to us and something that we'll do if we can fit it in somehow into our history. I know this is kind of like a challenge, but I really think, you know, let's look at this. Do I feel like I have a passion for the things of God in my life? I mean, I know we love Jesus, and I know it's nice to be nice about Christians and stuff, but I'm talking about a sense of urgency, like blow a trumpet in Zion. Is that part of our lifestyle? And we can't live in a, on the edge like all our whole life. I'm not asking us to feel like I'm always on edge thinking, oh, man, you know, got to really, what do I got to do? It's, uh, it's really urgent, you know. Pretty soon you're going to go crazy if you only do that. There's a time for everything. Uh, how about action? Like, you, you know, if, if God asks you to do something and you know you're supposed to do it and you just feel like, oh, God, I really can't do it. I'm really trying and I fail. Okay, fine. But where's the action? Is there action in our life? If God leads you to get into the word, what does that look like for you? If you feel like, you know, I really should be reading. Uh, now, I'm not trying to manipulate anything, but if you, if you thought through this summer, I really should be reading those scriptures and those books, you know, because we're, we're going through them. And it would really be good now that we're doing that. Well, do you think that came from the devil or God? 
If you think it's from God, what are we doing about it? You know, it just takes time. It just takes effort. And it's not easy reading. But if you really believe you should, perhaps you should. Responding action. Sincerity. I, I don't want to go too far on this one because I, I really believe in your heart and, and so on. But I, we do need to be sincere. We do need to have a heart felt a, a, a true heart to, of love to God. It needs to be real in us that this is who we are and this is what we really believe. Faith. What do we believe about God? It's so important in our everyday life. Do we believe that God is merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, or do we walk around filled with, like, I hope God doesn't, you know, uh, squish me like a bug or something. Snuff me out. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, God, God is a God of love. There's no good cop, bad cop, cop, and the, you know, Jesus is the good guy and the father, you know, he's the mean one. Actually, it was the father's heart of love that got the whole salvation thing started. The father loves you. The father loves you, personally knows you. Knows your bank code, all that. You know, he, he knows everything about you, still loves you. Knows what you did, knows your heart. He knows me. I, I wander so often. It's just, you know, I, I wish I was better. But God loves me. He's eager to relent and not punish me. Thank God. That's, that's who we believe in. Uh, are, are we devoted to God to uh, bring offerings to him? Well, you're here. That's devotion. That, this is devotion. This is part of what devotion looks like. And uh, responsiveness, you know, that's the one with the bridegroom and the bride, you know, just about ready to go. And they're, nope, can't do it. We've got something more important to do. We've got to serve the Lord here about something. So how are we doing on a scale of 1 to 10? Is there a, is there a need to maybe do better? And what does that look like? I mean, just practically, what does that look like? What kind of decisions do we make? And frankly, I didn't even think of this until just now, and I'm going to be quitting really soon. I know you've been very patient with me. Uh, but but the Authentic Living course will really help you if, if you really want to change, if you really want to make some changes in your life, that would really be good for you. I encourage you to sign up as soon as you can for that. Uh, let me just go to the last verse of the book. Can we do that just as we close? In Joel chapter 3, and... Uh, God says that, and here's the promise. You know, the first part of the book, it just says that it's, it's basically a done deal. The army's coming. The locusts are going to take everything, and it's going to be horrible. He doesn't say really why and anything else. But then halfway through, he says, you know what, though? If you will repent, this is what's going to happen. And he goes on to say this, the very end of the book. He says, Judah, God's place, will be filled with people forever, and the Jerusalem will endure through all generations. I will pardon my people's crimes, which I have not yet pardoned. I will pardon them. And I, the Lord, look at this. I, the Lord, will make my home in Zion. That's the place of his presence. I'll make my home to be present with you. And uh, that's because that's what I want to do. God wants to be with you. That's, that's the end of the book. And I, I think that um, we're going to close there. There's lots more. Uh, maybe one day we'll get back to it.
Uh, we'll see what God says. Let's stand together. Can we please? Lord, you said about these prophets that, you know, you're going to sort it all out. Not one dotting of an I, not one crossing of a T will fall to the ground. Lord, you have brought victory. You have brought deliverance. We may be facing judgment and, uh, and uh, accountability, but we put our trust in you. If we put our trust in you, Lord, put our trust in your mercy, put our trust in Jesus Christ, Lord, that's how we can face the accountable time of the day of the Lord. And so, Lord, I, I just want to, first of all, thank you for everyone who's here. Lord, people have come, uh, many have come because they, most perhaps, have come because they love you and want to worship you and want to serve you. Lord, if there's any here that, that do not know the joy of, of knowing their sins are forgiven, uh, Lord, I pray that you would bring revelation to them right now. And now, just as every eye is still closed, if you can just just give me a second here. If you're someone here and, you know, you'd, you really want to know how to be prepared for the day of the Lord, be prepared to meet God, and you feel like, well, I'd sure like to. I think maybe I'm okay. You know what? Let me let me talk with you. Let me pray for you. Come and see me after. Just just show you, show me your hand if this is, if that's you. If you'd like to know how to prepare yourself to meet God on that day, whatever day that is, just just raise your hand real quick and and show me and let me know. If there's anyone at all, okay. If if you if you still if you haven't wanted to put your hand up, but you think you know what I really need to talk to Mike, come on, I, I'm here for you. I'll talk with you. Also, others will pray with you. They'll be here at the front if you'd like personal prayer. So, Lord, I pray your blessing on these people. I thank you for this group, Lord. I thank you for your word. Your word is life to us. And I pray that, Lord, you would continue to speak to us as we are faithful to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. The coffee's on. Prayer is happening. And uh, we'll do this all again next week. God bless you.